Well, do keep your Bible uh, open in front of you, please, uh, as we continue to look through Matthew uh, chapter 8 in the fourth of our four-part series looking through this chapter. And um, as we've got that open in front of us, page 973, let me pray for us tonight. We've sung, Lord and God, let all I am adore Jesus, live for him, laying all I am before him taking up my cross, giving all I have. And having sung those words earlier in the service, we ask you now to save us from singing empty words. We ask you to rescue us from hypocrisy. And we ask that by the power of your Spirit, we would live what we've sung, that we would have the Lord Jesus as everything in our lives and his priorities would become our priorities. We ask it for his name's sake. Amen. Well then, it's Matthew chapter 8, verses 28 to 34. Uh, Every decision that we make demonstrates what we most highly value. Have you seen uh, the film The Devil Wears Prada? Uh, It's, uh, some of you, yeah, it's a bit of a chick flick, but I went anyway. Uh, And it's uh, all about the fashion industry. Uh, It's a film all about decisions and priorities. Uh, Anne Hathaway, who plays Andrea Sachs, makes a whole series of decisions that uh, affect her relationships and indeed her whole life. Now, it may not be quite uh, Hollywood in our lives, of course it isn't, but uh, every decision that I make, that you make, demonstrates what we most highly value. When I stay late at work, having promised that I'd spend time with my children, it says something about what I value, about what my priorities are. When I accept an invitation to the theatre, having previously promised to spend the day with someone else, I say something. My my decisions reveal my priorities. Uh, Indeed, just have a look at my diary and my credit card bill. Because, I'm actually not asking you to do that, it's just... uh, (laughs) My priorities will determine how I use my time and my money. And quite frankly, how I live the whole of my life. Uh, priorities are revealed in the way that students use their gap years. I asked one Christian student why he was going to travel in his gap year. I, I asked him if he'd considered using the year to serve Jesus Christ. His answer was very revealing. First, let me travel the world. I've got the rest of my life to serve Jesus. And you see, at that point, whatever he said about following Jesus, his decision revealed that Jesus was not his priority. Let's go to the other end of the extreme, shall we? What about people in retirement? How do you use your retirement? Is this uh, the opportunity to have a long weekend? A really long weekend? I know you still... All people who retired tell me they've never been so busy. Uh, Or or do you say, I'm going to serve Jesus with this time that I have? I regularly meet people who are reluctant to agree to teaching in Sunday school or, or, or the youth group because they want the freedom at weekends to do other things. The way we fill our time discloses our priorities, doesn't it? Well, we'll see this evening that Jesus expects to be our first priority. He expects his priorities to be our priorities if we're going to follow him. Now, that's the issue here in Matthew chapter 8, verses 28 to 34. Before we leap into this story, let me take you back to last week's passage. If you were here, you'll remember how Jesus met two men. The first, a lawyer, verse 19. Uh, He was an enthusiastic man, ready in his own words in verse 19 to follow Jesus wherever he went. 
The second man could not have been more different. He said to Jesus, verse 21, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Lord, I want to follow you, but there's something else I must do first. Now that sounds a lot like the student and his gap year, doesn't it? Here's the kind of man who always puts other priorities above following Jesus. See, I've met people like this, you have too, I'm sure. People who are persuaded that Jesus is the Son of God, persuaded that they need forgiveness, persuaded that Jesus is the truth, and yet they say, before I follow Jesus, I've just got something else I must sort out. And there are Christians like this as well. You see, the striking thing about verse 21 is that this man was a disciple. So Jesus says to the Christian, I want to control your business affairs and your money. And this man says, first I must get my children educated. I must finish paying the mortgage on the house. Jesus says, I want your time. I want regular commitment from you on a Sunday. And this man says, well actually, you know, that's very difficult for me. The weekends go by so quickly and I really can't give you Sunday, Lord. I'll sort it out uh, in the next year or so. Then I'll be your servant. Uh, First I'll do this and then. That's verses 21 and 22. I think the key word in verse 21 is first. What do we put first? As far as Jesus is concerned, we must, if we're following him, we must put him first. So, verse 22, Jesus says, follow me. Put me before everything else. Except that isn't actually what Jesus says in verse 22, is it? You see, if he'd said that we wouldn't have batted an eyelid. We might have felt challenged, but we wouldn't have batted an eyelid because we know that Jesus should come first. We know the first commandment. I hope we do anyway. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, down to the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. We know Jesus should come first. But that isn't actually what Jesus says here. See, verse 22, it is really very shocking. The disciple said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. It seems so harsh and unloving, doesn't it, verse 22? After all, this man does have a case, doesn't he? He's not the kind of man who's just making excuses. He's not asking for a few weekends off to visit his friends or for a gap year to travel the world. He's talking about burying his father, for goodness sake. And there's no question, these words have left the greatest minds scratching their heads. Read the books. I've been doing it this last week or so. They'll offer you two explanations. Either the man was asking for the time needed to bury and mourn his recently deceased father, or else his father was aged, not yet dead, and the man was waiting for him to die and be buried before he would consider following Jesus more closely. Now, when you listen to the second, you think, oh, well, if that's what it was, then no wonder Jesus gave him a hard time. Well, it's no good guessing which one it was, because the text doesn't tell us, you see. And as Don Carson says, either way, this man was reflecting Jewish-Palestinian piety. Sons were expected to look after their parents and to bury them when the time came. And so however you look at it, Jesus' answer is shocking. And it is meant to be. See, before we go any further, be assured, Jesus is not forbidding would-be followers from attending funerals. No, he's deliberately using language that is rather shocking to make a point. He's already spoken like this in Matthew's Gospel before. Do you remember in chapter 5, verses 27 to 30, Jesus said, If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's shocking language telling us to take drastic measures to cut sin out of our lives. 
But I take it when I read Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 to 30, that I'm not to take it literally, or there'd be an awful lot of one-eyed and one-handed Christians around the place. Now, surely this is no different in verse 22. But just because it's not to be taken literally, that doesn't mean that it's any less powerful. It is meant to shock. It's quite deliberately arresting so that we'll understand what our priorities should be. Verse 21, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Well, how are we to understand these words? Well, if you were here last week, you'll remember that uh, we noticed how Matthew's Gospel is constructed. And for those who missed it last week, it's very simple, but it's well worth seeing again. These two conversations in verses 18 to 22 are followed by two incidents in Jesus' life. And we're we're meant to link them. Do you remember in verse 20, Jesus said, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And then in verses 23 to 27, we saw last week a situation where Jesus had nowhere to lay his head. It was in verse 24. He's on the boat and he was sleeping in a boat. Nowhere else to lay his head. He was sleeping in the middle of a storm. Now this week, we've already seen in verse 22, Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead. And in verses 28 to 34, Jesus goes to the place of the dead. Look at verse 28. When he arrived at the other side, in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. See, Jesus goes to the tombs, to the place of the dead. Now as someone who, who regularly conducts funeral as a vicar, I'm not unfamiliar with cemeteries. And let me assure you, they're not places to be frightened of. They're actually usually quite peaceful places. But not this one. This was far from peaceful. Everyone was terrified of this graveyard. Not because of the dead, but because of the living. This graveyard was inhabited by two wild men. Demon-possessed men, we're told in verse 28. These men were so violent that, verse 28, no one could pass through the graveyard any longer. Because of these two madmen, people didn't visit the graves of their relatives any longer. You can just imagine, once carefully tended and lovingly kept graves had become overgrown and neglected because everyone was too scared to visit them. On the way home, no one ever took a shortcut through the cemetery because, verse 28, These men were so violent that no one could pass that way. These men terrified the locals. But look who's scared when Jesus turns up. Verse 29. The men said, What do you want with us, Son of God? Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? I regularly meet people who refuse to acknowledge the identity of Jesus. Do you you meet people like that? And that makes this very, very striking. Even though these demons are evil, they would never be that wicked. They would never refuse to acknowledge who Jesus is. They know exactly who Jesus is, verse 29. What do you want with us, son of God? They have no doubt who is boss, verse 29. Have you come here to torture us? And you'll see in verse 31, they begged Jesus. There's no doubt who's calling the shots here. Jesus has power and authority over the dominion of darkness and over all the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. He really is king. I'm left in no doubt of that. He's king of the universe. And that's why I need to take note of his priorities. 
And his priorities become very clear as the story unfolds. Jesus, we'll see, wants to destroy evil. He wants to liberate men and women from the dominion of darkness. That's what happens here. See, as the demons who possessed these men came face to face with Jesus, Matthew tells us, verse 30, some distance from them a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, go. So they came out and went into the pigs and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. See, just one word, go. That was all it needed to deliver these men and to command the evil spirits to leave. He spoke and they went into the pigs and the whole herd was destroyed. And of course, that's the point that bothers everyone. Lead a Bible study on this passage and there's one dominant reaction. Have you ever led a Bible study on this? Do you know what it is? Poor pigs. Why did Jesus do that to the pigs? Poor pigs. Now maybe you felt that when when it was read, but I guess... If you did feel that, I guess you won't bat an eyelid if you go to the spud bar after the service and find rashes of bacon along with cheese and beans to put on your baked potato. We don't really care about pigs. We eat them all the time. My apologies to all the vegetarians here. (laughs) But hold on to that first reaction, poor pigs. It is very instructive. Because, you see, that's exactly how the, how the people of the town reacted. Verse 33, those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. They were so upset about the pigs, they drove Jesus out of town. Because, verse 33... Look at it closely. Those tending the pigs ran to the town and reported all this. That is, all this about the pigs drowning and the fact that the two men had been delivered from a life of demon possession was an afterthought. See the way it's written, verse 33? Those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon possessed men. It isn't the other way round. It doesn't read, um, they reported about the demon possessed men being delivered and then reported about the pigs. Now, it's the other way round. It's not difficult to reconstruct the report of those pig farmers as they rushed into town, out of breath, (laughs) unable to get the words out quickly enough. All our pigs are dead. They rushed over the cliff like lemmings. The lake is strewn with their bodies. We're ruined. Our livelihood is gone. It's that man, Jesus Christ. He exercised those two madmen who live up in the tombs. It's obvious what they were upset about. The pigs were dead. Their livelihoods were ruined. And it's obvious they didn't care for the two men who'd been delivered. Otherwise, they'd have asked Jesus to stay. Wouldn't they? They'd have thanked him for all that he'd done for these men and for that matter, for the town. Ridding the town and the graveyard of these two madmen. But no, they put pigs before people. Income before individual. I think that's the real rub. See, Mark tells us that 2,000 pigs drowned that day. That was huge financial loss. No farmer's subsidies. No insurance claims. And even if there had been, the small print would have given the insurance company a way out. This was, after all, an act of God. (laughs) No EU compensation coming their way. These pig farmers lost everything and they were livid. And again, let me ask you how you feel as you read that. My guess is 
that even if you are an avid bacon eater and you don't find yourself sentimentally saying poor pigs, my guess is when you think of the business these men lost, you may well have sympathy with the pig farmers, do you? I did as I was preparing this. All week I was thinking, yeah, no wonder they were angry. It does reveal our priorities, doesn't it? We have sympathy with those who've lost material possessions because that's where our priorities are. Now, if you're connecting with me at that point, just listen to the story as told by the two demon-possessed men. See, for years they'd done nothing but rant and rave. If you dared get close enough, you'd have seen the evil and the terror in their eyes. But Mark tells us that after Jesus had delivered them, they sat calmly and in their right minds. And so quite rationally, and I guess with a tear in their eye, their version of events would have gone something like this. Our lives have been transformed. Since we met Jesus, we have a life. We can return to the village, to our families. Life is worth living again. We've got so much to thank Jesus for. Driving out those demons into a herd of pigs demonstrated to us just how powerful those demons were and how many there were and how awesome Jesus is. There is no doubt he saved our lives. Question. Are you still saying poor pigs? Or poor pig farmers? Or are you rejoicing that Jesus delivered these poor men? What do you think? 2,000 pigs for two men. Do you think that was a good swap? How we answer demonstrates something of our priorities and how much men and women mean to us. This event certainly tells us how much men and women mean to Jesus. Two men for 2,000 pigs. Certainly tells us his priorities. Jesus is for life. Jesus puts people first. For the people of the town. Verse 34 tells the whole story, doesn't it? When they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. They saw that Jesus sorted these men out, but they also believed that he destroyed their property, their livelihood. And they looked at the balance sheet and they asked him to leave. 2,000 pigs, two men, get out of here. They were more bothered about the pigs, more bothered about their livelihood. Do you see what a powerful story it is for us to read Because it shows us that Jesus has got his priorities right, that he is for people and for life. And if you entered into the story as I did while I was preparing, it shows us how perverted our own priorities are. Because I sided with the pig farmers on several occasions this week. Now, like them, you see, we're more concerned about financial gain than we are for the souls of men and women. We have wrong priorities. And that's what's going on in verses 21 and 22. Do you see how they're linked now? Verse 22 is not a harsh, unloving statement. We've just seen Jesus is for people. Jesus is for the well-being of individuals. He is for good, not for evil. Jesus has the highest regard for human life. Jesus' priorities lie with the eternal destiny of men and women. Whatever's going on in verse 22, he is not against us when he says, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. 
When Jesus demands that we put him first before anything else, even before making funeral arrangements, he does it because he loves us. And he does it, I think, because we so easily kid ourselves into thinking that there are more important things in life than serving him. Do you not find that every day? Every day of my life, I think there are more important things than following Jesus. Don't you find that? Don't you struggle with it? Don't you have everything crowding in? You know, you look at the adverts and and the things on television. It all grabs your heart. Liverpool or Man United, as if that matters. Leeds United, that's a different matter. No, but you see the point. It just kind of grabs hold of us, doesn't it? Jesus' words in verse 22 are meant to shock us because we need shocking. Because everything else becomes more important. These words are meant to shock us to show us that rather than following and serving Jesus, we so easily hide behind worthy things like our family. Well, I'm just serving my family, Lord. I'm going to put them first. Or respected things like our career or our education. But to be a disciple of Jesus means putting him first. Of course, when we put him first, then he says, honour your father and mother, doesn't he? It's my guess that had this disciple put Jesus first, then Jesus would have turned to him and said, honour your father, go and do the right thing, go and bury him. But you've got to get your priorities right first. You've got to put him first. Our temptation is always to put other things before Jesus and even before other people, actually, and not least of all, financial gain. And what is so shocking is that these words are said to a disciple in verse 21. See, how does this work out? It's not difficult to think of the Christian parents who pray for their children to become Christians. And maybe after much prayer and years of worrying, their children go away to university and they're still not Christians, and then they go on a Christian union house party and they're gloriously converted. And the Lord becomes everything to them. And the parents are delighted. Until the day comes when they tell their parents that they're going to give up their medical studies to become overseas missionaries. And to say the parents are devastated is no exaggeration. These are Christian parents. Oh, they wanted their children to become Christian, but they had other priorities for them. These are not made up scenarios. That really happens. When push comes to shove, when it really matters, are our priorities Jesus' priorities? It's a big issue in the world of work as well, isn't it? I was really impressed with a young woman in her early 30s when she came in a defining moment in her career. She came to see me a couple of uh, years ago. She was given the possibility of a partnership in the firm she worked for. It's a big opportunity. And she asked to meet with me to discuss the decision. I really just listened to her. Didn't need to say anything. She said it will mean longer hours. It will take more of my mind time, more of my energy. And then I was really encouraged when, and challenged when she weighed up the situation. She says taking this promotion would mean less time to be involved in the church. I don't think I want that, she said. Now, I'm not saying that there's no place for promotion. There's no place for getting on in the world. I'm not saying that at all. I was just impressed by the way she was working it out. She was thinking about her priorities. Jesus says, follow me and I'll change your priorities and transform your life. It's not an easy option. He will give you his priorities. What are his priorities? What have we seen in the story? 
It is the gospel priority of liberating men and women from the dominion of darkness. Does that rule every decision I make? Every decision I make. Because you see, my problem is I'm just like the pig farmers. I'm more concerned about me and my livelihood and my well-being. And so I have to keep grappling with myself and getting hold of my heart and saying, every decision I make must be be driven by Jesus' priorities, the gospel and and men and women who are going to hell without him. Jesus is about living your life to bring life spiritual life, eternal life to men and women and leaving the spiritually dead to bury the dead. But I will only make Jesus' priorities my priorities when I believe that Jesus is for my good. And that's what this story does. As I read it again and again, I see Jesus is for my good. He is for life. He is for people. Otherwise, his commands will seem harsh and unfair. Another disciple said to Jesus, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Let's pray together. Well, let me leave a moment of silence now for you to make your own response to the Lord. I don't know how he's challenged you, if at all. If he has, then why don't you ask him to help you to be determined to change whatever he's challenged you on or to make his priorities your priorities. pigs or people, income or individuals. Lord, these are things that face us every day. We thank you that we've seen in your word again that Jesus is uh, the king of the universe. We've sung it, king of kings, majesty. But we also sang... Your majesty I can but bow. I lay my all before you now. And we know that it's good to sing those words, but very hard to live them. And so we ask for you, by the power of your Spirit, to help us to live this. We ask you to help us as a people, together to encourage one another to live it. And we pray that as we do live it, that the Lord Jesus himself would be exalted and glorified. We pray these things in his name. Amen.